London. You know what episode it is? No, 37. I think it's 38. Episode 38. 38's our favorite number. It is? Yeah. That's What's your awesome. favorite number? Mm. <laughs> number one. I'm number one. I don't have a fucking favorite number. No. I think 23. What's your... Um, Shoe size, nine and a half. What's your password? To favorite your, color, blue. What's your password to your, your pin number? My pin numbers? That's your favorite number. <laughs> Oh, that's... shit. Can we edit that out? I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Special guest today on our show. Yes. Steve Edelman with a new book out, Nocturnal Admissions, behind the scenes at Tunnel, Limelight, Avalon, and other legendary nightclubs. It's out June 7th, so almost a month from now. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you a little background on this legendary. I mean, just describing what the book is about is just legendary in its own. It is true. So widely recognized as the co-founder of Avalon Nightlife Brand, Steve Edelman began his career in the early 90s, moving to New York City to become the director of the Roxy Nightclub. Two years later, he was tapped as director of the iconic Limelight and then increased his role at Manhattan's four largest nightclubs, including the Tunnel and Palladium. In 97, Edelman launched Avalon on Lansdowne Street in Boston, which quickly became a national success. Over the next four years, he led a team to develop six venues on the Fame Street, turning into the ultimate one-stop entertainment destination. That place was also the start of myself. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, which is great. So we welcome on the show, Mr. Steve Edelman. We appreciate you taking the time out today. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So Thanks I guess for the introduction. So I guess we'll start. <laughs> you did a pretty good job, right? <laughs> Congrats on the book, first of all, and we're excited to read Thanks. it. I mean, yeah, I mean the the stories must be unbelievable. Can't it's, what, there's a very exciting book to come out for sure. What uh, caused you? What not caused you to? What? Um, why is the time? Did you pick to to put out this book? And did yeah. you think? Um, well. Well, um, you know, most people are surprised when I tell them I'm really a writer that got sidetracked in nightlife for like 30 years. <laughs> so I've been writing. I've been writing for years. I, I've had, I have a manager right now in Hollywood who does my scripts. And I started writing down stories in probably the early 2000s. And I showed it to my agent at the time. And he said, oh, my God, this is hilarious. You know, it reads like these read like episodes of like Curb Enthusiasm on acid. <laughs> right, oh, I love that. <laughs> Amazing. I love so, it. So he said, "You got this is a book. You got to write this book." Well, that was that was in two thousand five. So it's taken me this long. Oh wow! Um, and you know, the pandemic slowdown helped, but I think about a year or two ago, I I just wanted to go back to my writing. I mean, I've been in nightlife for thirty years. Mm-hmm. 
So that was sort of the genesis of it. And probably my first book best to come out and write about something that I have some experience with. Absolutely. We do actually a segment on uh, on the show where it's story time with, with Uncle Jeff. And I actually tell, I omit the names, but I do tell stories. Of, I love that. Of, 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 uh, <laughs> I love that. In fact, in fact, I'm doing a big book event in New York. I don't know if you know who Michael Musto is. And, yeah, of course. And some big, Anthony Hayden Guest and uh, all these big people. And the theme of the uh, the theme of the book talk it's a to promote, to promote my book but sure. is you know every everybody's life story has a nightlife story. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Sure. Yeah, I love that. Right. Jason, and by the way, by the way, by the way, I've already, I've already trademarked that as a podcast. So there, I like that. <laughs> I love that. So, Jason, when he first started, he he actually DJed over at the Limelight. I think we should start. You know, is that kind of where you started at the Limelight, or did you start before? It was. I started originally. I had gotten involved in a nightclub in Boston in the late '80s, and randomly, actually, RuPaul yeah. did an event at that event. At that club. What was the club called? Hub Club. Hub Club. Okay. That's amazing. Downtown. The names are just like, those older club names are just so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They don't make them like, they don't make them like they used to, including (laughs) the names. Not exactly. RuPaul actually recommended me for a job at uh, the Roxy in New York. I don't know if you have ever been to the Roxy in New York. I was at the Roxy in New York right before they closed it there. I was there for actually a DJ competition. And okay. right after that was my first experience at the limelight later that okay, night. So, yeah. Right. So to show you how old I am, I launched the Roxy. Wow. Wow. And, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I sort of stepped into a scenario where, where people were, rec- I was, you know, sort of bestowed on me, the director. So I just said yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And eventually a few things hit and, you know, there you go. So I started there. And then uh, two years later, they sort of pulled me over to Limelight, and that group had Limelight, and then eventually bought the Tunnel, Palladium, and Club USA. Yeah. So I, also, I was there I, running. I, I also did hear a story that used to be used to answer the used to go there early to Club USA and answer the phones. Is that the truth? <laughs> no, no. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, let's clarify that. Okay. I was the only one that got up before two o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. including the receptionist. Got so it. when people called, I guess maybe I did pick up the phone a lot. <laughs> you just didn't realize you were doing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's just, it happened that's naturally. How, you know, yeah. That's how legends become, you know, misinformed legends. Right, that's right, of course. Legend. Now, when you went over there and, and it was all under uh, Peter Gation, right, at the time? That's well, right, yeah, that's yeah. right. Now, did you see his vision and, and how he ran those clubs and tried to – in, saw that vision and tried to divert it into like uh, how Avalon became about. It's a great, it's a great yeah. question. You know, I learned a lot from Peter mm-hmm. and some lessons to learn. The first thing he'd always tell me was, I don't understand why people do bars or small nightclubs because if then, if you're successful, the capacity limits your success, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's why his clubs were always three, four, 5,000 and hence Avalon, Sure. So that really put me on the track for the big nightclub. And second of all, his big thing was he would hire and uh, uh, very creative people. He had a good eye for that and just let them do their thing. Right. So, so those are those are two real, you know, you got to manage people in different ways. And I saw how he managed 
you know, some real, real characters there. And that's, you know, great part of the book and a really funny part of the book is who those characters were and how they were, you know, how it was, how everybody, how I was trying to manage them, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. I learned that I learned, you know, you've got to manage people a lot differently. And those people I'm sure were very hard to manage in on so they many were, different levels too. Like they weren't you'd even, have to manage somebody I this way even, and another person a totally different right. way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even, I can't even describe, I mean, those are kind of the stories in the book in that part of the book. The yeah. book is three decades long. Wow. It's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Right. So that's that decade. And you'll see some, you know, never to be repeated. And what's very, very interesting now is that period in the early nineties to mid nineties, Giuliani came in and shut everything yep. down. Right, right. Yeah. And, you went hard and on that was, and that was considered a, by everyone involved. And even now it's sort of the heyday for New York nightlife. It was. Yeah. But when you really think about it, that what happened didn't really go away. It just got shut down. Right. Right. But then, then bottle service came and everything sort of transformed changed, into yeah. something different change became more corporate. Now I'm seeing as um, you know, I'm sort of talking to people around the country for the book. Everybody is definitely, definitely up for what that experience was sure. in the nineties. And, you know, an experience that we sort of took to Avalon. And I think that experience is really coming back. So when you, when you, New York was kind of shutting down, how did you pair up with, you moved over, I want to say this in a row, you moved over and paired and partnered with the Lions group or? Yes. No, what happened was, was that a friend of mine was a a designer introduced me to Patrick Lyons and Patrick Lyons put me over to John because Patrick wasn't really involved in the clubs. He was doing the restaurants. Sure. And then we spoke and, you know, I took a partnership with them. And, and then I later on myself and John left, uh, we were in Boston from, uh, 97 till about 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then around, around 2002, we split off and, and opened up Avalon in Hollywood. Right. So we'll go back to this. I think I started working there actually in 2004, I think when Ray Montgomery was there and, and right. yeah, yeah. Ray, Ray was my manager at the, at the, at the, at, uh, the tunnel. So I bought Ray in, wow. and then in 2004, I was already out of there in 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 LA. Right, and and Ray was taking over the kind of that whole street, Avalon, and um, Access, Correct. and yeah, over there. Yeah, so, sort of managing the street. Yeah. So let's talk about. So I think in Boston, I think there was maybe there was the you know one larger club um, or two larger clubs, but nothing in. 97 like Avalon and I think the vision of Avalon was different from the other clubs in the city where they started bringing talent in and the talent wasn't um the talent was worldwide DJs so that's a very good question and a really interesting I think interesting story sure people are interested by it when I was in Boston everything was being shut down I went to I mean I was in New York I went to Boston and we were, what had happened at that time in New York at Twilo, that's when Sasha and Digweed and Carl Cox just started residency. Mm-hmm. So they were the first guys there that really, that if you want to call it UK or international DJs, they were the first guys in New York at Twilo that sort of started that. I saw that and said, man, this is where things are going. So when I came to Boston, I said, we got, this is what we got to do. This is where it's going. I've got very lucky. It, that may never have worked because Twyla was sort of the stop and Avalon wasn't. So 
So Avalon really got put on the map on DJs because Giuliani then went and shut Twilo down. So now when they came to the East Coast, they had no club to go to. Wow. Wow. So at the time, at the time, we were just they were looking for gigs and we uh, and we got in those gigs and then they loved the club and blah, blah, blah. So th- then it sort of started from there. But if Giuliani had never shut down wow. Twilo, I'm not sure on a DJ tip if Avalon. So People always hate Giuliani. I thank him because he may have launched my career. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how the universe works like that. Like without those moments, right it's timing. Works. It's timing, man. I used to be the bottle bottle guy at Twilo. That's how long I've really? been. My wow. first job in New York City was picking up people's drinks and bottles. That's great. <laughs> Is there any truth to this story now that we talked about the Club USA one? No, no. No. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I never got to experience Club USA, though, but I've seen the pictures. And we yeah, also had we, a photographer. We had Steve Eichner on yeah. here who used to take pictures. Yeah, who was a photographer oh, there. It looked like it was just crazy. There was I, know, a, I know Steve Eichner very well. Yeah, yeah, we had him on the show. He had a, a great um, book come out, photography book. We we had great. He had some great stories yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was a time on Lansdowne Street. And you have to know, for people that don't know Lansdowne Street, there was basically six to eight. Cl- the whole street was just nightlife. Now, this is by Fenway, right? Correct. It was okay. by Fenway Park. There was a six, spo- six. Six. Six clubs. Wow. And we'll get into this in a minute about Connected. Al- yeah, connected. Oh, yeah, like right. where House of Blues is, yeah, then, that strip right there? Yeah, okay. I'm from New York, so I'm we'll not get. too familiar with Lansdowne Street. Yeah. I'm sorry. So it, far is that. this no, true no. that the power <laughs> went out on Lansdowne Street when Paul Van Dyke was going to DJ and somehow he got the lights turned on? Somehow we did get the lights turned on. Somehow that you got the lights turned on on the street. There's a, there's a whole thing that Paul Van Dyke was supposed to DJ yeah, in the well, whole thing. Well, well, I'll put it this way. The lights went out. We got the lights back on. I'll take all the credit for it, but <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I <laughs> how, how, how soon from opening the doors was the power out? Or was it like during the day? It, I, no, I think it was out. And as people were coming in, they were coming in into the dark. Oh, oh wow! But, so we had Sick. the good thing for us is we had like there, people had been on Lansdowne because Lansdowne has been there forever. Sure. So we had like off duty police and you know we had people that could help and make you know I say pull strings and get to you know right. get people down there quicker than most people. So that was really a, that that was one of those times that was really a benefit. Yeah. But like I said, if it wasn't for me, that would have never no that would have never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so now the, we'll talk about this now because I think this when you say what Peter Gation said about how larger is you know if you're successful, larger is absolutely better. You not only had Avalon, which how how many people two thousand. Yeah. Okay. So you took a, I believe it was Friday night and said. Well, let's not open just Avalon. Let's open five others and connect them and call That's it right. Avaland. Holy shit. So you would have Beautiful. you would have a room that would be playing eighties music. You would have a room like Access was more I mean you can correct me on this, more underground kind of DJ. And then you That's would right. have Tiesto in the main perfectly. room and then you'd have I think it was a modern embassy, and you'd have all different clubs. So you could walk around yep. and experience. That's what. Six oh, and you know, yeah. different you know, rooms. There, you know, to put six spaces together, you know, you got to have six different crowds. And talk about timing and luck again. You know, at, at that time in Boston, there was this big thing where all the Middle Eastern and stuff foreign students were coming there, right? So right. we were we were we were able to create one club as just sort of a quote unquote Euro club, like you know, say like a club in Italy, and they just loved it. So, you know, and that just happened because 
you know, the university two or three years before that had started this program, basically where rich foreign students could apply and get accepted with different, you know, right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, applications as long as they had money. So, and, and you put all, and that, I learned that from Peter Gation. That was a, that was a rip off of the tunnel. Wow. Because what I learned is, is a great, a great big nightclub is a combination of 10 different crowds coming at one time, meshing and moving around. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we we lack in nightlife right now. I think you go to a nightclub nowadays and you have one experience and one experience only. When I used to go to, oh to the God. limelight, I would go to the main room and then I'd go to the bathroom. There's a DJ there. And then there was the, the, the room in the back that was called the uh, Scorp- Scorpion or something. What was it called? Uh, it was something. But there was like six different DJs right, within right. one room and yeah. you could just feel Shampoo. different stuff. Shampoo. 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 Yeah, that's Shampoo. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I think that's where where what we lack in today's nightlife experience. Ne- sure. I can't I can't, be- I can't even believe you're saying that because I've heard that from hundreds and hundreds of people, and it goes back to my initial my initial comment. Yeah. That experience is what it's I'm getting boring. You, that yeah. is coming back. That is coming back in a big way. Now, Avaland is turning. It's going to be the the 25th anniversary. 25th, yeah. Yeah. Um, they are now Avalon. I've, I've been doing it since I've been 15, if you can believe it or not. Wow, that's amazing! That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I know that they were doing an Avalon kind of uh, I'm at I'm not that young, <laughs> um, with uh, Tom Mello. I think is doing one at the House of Blues as a you know kind of reunion of all the people from, from back then. Um, now, Aval- no, that that is. No, let me be clear. That sure. is the real Avalon 25th reunion. Wow. Okay. You know, it is. It's more than a reunion. It is. It is everything. Danny Tenegula decor. Oh, the whole wow. nine yards. Wow. I, Danny, that's amazing. I, I believe it's June seventeenth. I'll double check on that. Is yeah. It? The invite. The invite comes out on Tuesday. Yeah. You'll see. It's not. It's certainly not Tom trying to pull something together. It's. It's the real, real it's the real, real deal. Tom, Tom, Tom Mello, uh, I've known for many years as well, and he's a great, he great, says great hello. Yeah. He says hello and a lot of great things about you and asked, why isn't Jeff involved in Avalan 25? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. That's a great question. I don't know. I will be I there know. 100%. I will be there, actually. Will you be there? I'll be there. Oh, oh yeah. Amazing. I got my whole book. It's part of my book tour. Okay, great, great. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, Jason yeah. and I will be, will be there. We um, will definitely be there to support for sure. And, and, and it's just amazing to have that experience come back after all these years too. So congratulations. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, what's, oh. what's it? I think, I think if it is the 17th or around that date, it's actually what, uh, two weeks after your book comes out, which would be great. That's right. 10 days. 10, 10 days. days. So yeah. in terms of the avalanche. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> timing. Timing, timing, timing is, is everything, everything. Man. Oh, man. I didn't, I didn't have to rely on Giuliani for that one. No, no. no so, so the other Avalons that you opened up, where, where was the second one and then the third one? So was it New York? The one was uh, uh, Hollywood, which is still running. Sure. After, I think it's been there now for, oh, my gosh, 2002. So we math on that. Were you ever, you weren't ever able to replicate Avalon out there, right? That just ran as Avalon. No. Because there wasn't. No, no. Was, we, we had Avalon. No, Avalon ran around. On the world, it ran in New York, it ran in wow. LA, it ran in it ran in Singapore. Wow, beautiful! Avalanche, Avalanche, all together has run. I think there's been seventeen hundred 
almost 1800 editions of Avaland around the world. Wow. Wow. Now, now when you got, when you took over the limelight in, and it became Avalon again, how was it run differently yep. from when you were, obviously Giuliani was, was out there, of, yeah. Giuliani was probably out of office, but how was it, how was I think the scene different? Was, well, because obviously there the was no. The scene was different. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, so that was, you're talking about uh, leaving there in about 1996 and then coming back there 10 years later. So 10 year, years later, uh, sort of electronic music had sort of picked up in trance. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of DJ bookings, but we still had multiple rooms, um, you know, but, but mainly the DJs were, you know, we probably did uh, that kind of stuff too. But it's a lot different than the experiences today. Sure. You know, what people consider EDM, an EDM show and an EDM night was a lot different back then than it is now. Right, right. Sure. Now, when, there's, when you open up the Avalon New York, was there bottle service then? There was bottle service, yeah. So that was, in, obviously there was never that at Limelight or anything like that. So that had to be no. different. That's right. Know? Yeah. And, and Avalon and, and, and Limelight, there was only Ecstasy Punch. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've read about that a few times. <laughs> yep. That's it. No, I guess I, that's bottle service. If something it like is. Communal. It's communal. It is. It is. Um, now, when, when now your take on, on bottle service, do you think, and we talk about this a lot, it, how it changed nightlife and the, 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 the night, the skate, the landscape of nightlife. Now, I like the experience too. It changed the experience, I think, because people, everything. everything. And I write about that a lot in the book. Mm -hmm. And that is, so this, you got to go through what would actually happen, right? The big nightclubs go down. Yeah. So people are saying, what's next? And, and in the big nightclubs, um, the VIP rooms were big, right? Yeah. Because, you know, they developed VIP rooms. And so that was a big deal. So somebody said, let's take this VIP room and put it into a club, mm -hmm. right? And let's make everybody feel really, really important. But right. you got to pay for that experience. Right. Yes. And, and by the way, not necessarily the core people, but the second and third sort of generation it, into the door has to pay $1,000 to sit down or for a bottle, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's what sort of went. And, you know, in the beginning, it was just you can have a bottle and serve yourself. It was great. But quickly that got sort of bastardized by club owners sure. sort of ex as an exploitive thing. And as you said, sort of changed the whole landscape. I remember this place in Brooklyn Output that came that – that it was the same people that owned um, the other place in, in Cielo, I think, in Manhattan. They moved to yep. Brooklyn, and this was at the height of, of the bottle service industry, and they had no VIP areas or no bottle service at all. Yeah. And it did it did pretty well. It, it gave people That's a different Cielo experience. Cielo was there forever. Yeah. Great point. Cielo was the, the you know, when Twilo closed, Cielo was the dance club. That, for you know dancing yeah. a parent club for years mm -hmm. it was a little bit smaller so you know like that's why maybe djs would be going to avalon in boston rather than you know cielo in new york because our capacity was, was a little bit you larger. know twice the size right mm -hmm. so, so go, going back and changing the, the landscape and things like that and i remember yep. being going to avalon and it was just massive dance floor de decor everything like that but the dj would be above and behind you 
depending on where you looked, I guess. But the DJ yep. wasn't the focal point. Neither no, we're, and, always, right. and, we're and, always in closets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and bottle service was you know off to the side, and it was you know its yeah. own little section, but it was off to the side. The DJ placement, I believe, was another you know kind of groundbreaking way to change the landscape and i don't know for the better or for worse and i want to hear your opinion on on how you think that you think more people just now just stare at the dj right or or you know or, or back film then, it or, or film even, it yeah. yeah well cameras <laughs> cameras are different i'll give thing, you guys yeah. i'll give you guys the best scoop ever sure i'll ask you a question why do you think the dj booth got moved from where it was you know like sort of part of the experience right yeah when you were david morales and frankie knuckles and danny and i don't know if you remember danny tenegla he would literally play in the dark yeah, yeah. and then si- shine a giant white spotlight on the crowd we like actually you know yeah, yeah. no we one spoke. even saw his face no one right. even knew who he was why did the dj booth get moved from there to a stage why because they became the focal point, right? Is that well, they did, but I think it. Would, I think you know. Uh, I mean, I think it had to do with with phones and with you know people sharing social media and stuff like that. Two things. Yeah. See, that's why I need. That's why I need to read my book, and that's why I need to talk to the right guy. June seventh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Bottle service. Bottle yeah. service. What happened was people realized that people would pay a premium to be on the stage behind the DJ. Uh. So that's who originally what he went there. And the second thing was around 2003, 2004, EDM, we'll call it as it's known now, sure. started to flail, right? There was issues. And people realized or acts that were very smart, Oakenfold, Geta, Tiesto, realized that you know, if I'm going to ever, if I'm going to stay relevant, I have to turn myself into a rock act. Right, right. Well, here's another so they, thing that I thought of, too, because when I was coming up in the early, late 90s, too, there was cover bands all the time. And that kind of went away. And now it just became DJs were the focal point. So, like, the cover bands and all that stuff, too. The, the legendary Paul Oakenfold, and this is hilarious in the book, and it's freaking legendary. He started it all. By literally playing and then giving this sort of like Jesus, yeah, you know, right. of, of course, feet, yeah, yeah, and jumping up and down. I was at a club once and someone says, "I can fucking do that." Like, what's this guy doing? <laughs> and everybody says, "What if I jumped up and down and had an LED wall? What if I jumped up and down and have an LED wall and blah blah blah? What if I want? What if I had a cube that could become the DJ booth?" That <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I also remember in, speaking of first too, and this is the first time I was at a nightclub. I'm, I don't know if it was the first time at a nightclub, but I remember the the lighting kind of rigs uh, at Avalon, and it would spray. Would it spray the CO two out? Would spray it, something yeah. out? Fog. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Do they even have, I mean, no one even knows when I say that people go fog. What are you yeah. about? I remember just coming down Those and fog it had machines. You had to fill them up with a whole bunch of liquid too. So Those this, this yeah. light, that's right. That's right. It would, it would, liquid. it would kind of rotate. You run out of fog. Yeah. <laughs> go get the more. Go get the juice. No, because I right, exactly right. Yeah. Oh my god, that go get the juice. Exactly yeah. Yeah. Right. It had this distinct 
smell to it. It did. It was who knows what we were inhaling back then. <laughs> <laughs> There's no FDA regulation on well, that, that's could, for sure. You could smoke butts in there, too. Oh, that's right. You could yeah. smoke back then. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, times have changed so yeah. much. So it, it, yeah, nothing's worse than a combination of that. With you know someone smoking a blunt and that's just not you know, yeah. that that itself that itself was was you know you got to move smoking outside that was enough just that oh man now we always talk about the EDM and stuff and I don't know if you this at the time of the tunnel and stuff and we talk about the you know how legendary some that hip hop night was for many many Sundays, reasons did you yeah. did you ever work down the tunnel during that era I did I was right there. But that was a self-run night, right? By Funk, by Funk Master Flex and sure. Hot ninety seven, yeah. Right. So I, I really came there, but I wasn't involved in that night whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Jessica Rose, right? Is that was that her name? Yeah, Jack yeah. Rosenberg, Rosenblum, right. yeah, yeah. Rosenblum, Rosenblum, yeah, Rosenblum, yeah. Yeah, and and you know that was you know I mean that was some crowd. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I've seen, we've seen, you know. That's where the hip-hop police came out of that that time so. period, I yeah. think, too. Yeah, 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 so that was not me. That was not me, no. Yeah. But, wait a minute, wait, wait. Let me take that back. It was me. I I, had, I booked all the acts. I, 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 I uh, you know, was doing all of it myself, but I, I don't want to take it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we, we talk in terms of the DJs and stuff like that. Did you, was one of your jobs to book the DJs? Um, how did your role change from going to, you know, getting pulled from Limelight to Club USA to, you know, to it's a great question at Limelight. It was mainly marketing promotions and some operations. Mm -hmm. I didn't close the place. I didn't hire bartenders. When I got to Avalon originally in Boston, it was more of the same. Then I got sort of more in the, when we renovated all those clubs on lands and I got more into the design of, of that and operations. So by the time I went to LA, and, you know, became the, the principal owner. I was doing everything, operations. Sure. So at that point in time, I had a booker and a huge staff. And that was so since 2002, you know, it was the last time I actually booked a DJ myself. But like when we, we booked Danny for Avalanche 25, I mean, I know these people. So I talk right. to them on the phone and, mm-hmm. sure. and they're like, oh, how you doing? And, you know, so that, that helps over the years to build relationships. Uh, absolutely. No, I, I think that's that's a know, key component for uh, sure. Everybody yeah. wants to know. Everybody wants to go, you know, where they know they're going to be taken care of. See, that's why, like, cheers. The big yeah, cheers. Right, right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's – I have longevity in my career because I treat my, you know – my clients well and i'm you know i just curate these relationships and carry them throughout the year sure, you don't want point. these people thinking they're just booking some guy to come in and dj they want to book their friend right, right. to dj and, and make an experience out of it for sure absolutely now out of all the avalons do you have a favorite good question um i had to say avalon in hollywood because it was the first club i owned outright mm-hmm. and built from scratch and found and you know when i came to lansdowne lansdowne was here and we mm-hmm. sort of renovated and i sort of joined a group yeah right so that was a really good experience i think that launched my career as a club owner by going through that experience in la and i, I don't know if you know la in, in that period of time but there was nothing there mm-hmm. like people thought we were crazy going into hollywood in a big club there's never been a big club yeah, in re- before avalon Hong. i remember it opening and i remember that discussion going around because la was hard just there's no nightlife like that out there at all exactly people go who are these idiots I yeah say, oh, well we'll see we'll wait and see <laughs> o- opening night avalon on the west coast a celeb story that's not in the book what happened on that opening night 
a celeb story that's not in the book on opening night. I would say that um, a lot of people call and are wanting to get on the guest list and come to opening night, right? Mm -hmm. So you you don't know who's going to show up or not show up. Sure. So um, since I was in New York, I would get a a call once in a while from not Prince, but quote-unquote Prince's guy. Right, right. Oh, the purple one is on his way. He, oh, I know what it was. He had just, he was... You know, he was he was like indecipherable glyph. Remember that that symbol? Yeah, 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 yeah. His name. Right, yeah, that yeah. was his. Yep. That was his name at the time. So he couldn't even. He didn't have a, even have a name. And they said, "Oh, I don't even know what they call him, glyph or whatever." The guy was saying, "He's coming." Yeah. I'm like, "Wait a minute!" And this would go to the publicist, and the publicist would call me and say, "What should I do?" I said, "Well, y- you know, what are you going to do? You gotta, you know, you gotta see what's going to happen." With the trick in, in Hollywood is, yeah, I'm bringing Leonardo DiCaprio, and you show up. I know Leonardo DiCaprio is five without him, and right. then you sort of take his table and work your way into the VIP. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm like, okay, this is a big scam. So, so the night's going on. It's a crazy. It's in the book, a crazy thing. We don't have we don't have carpet. We don't have liquor. You know, the same thing. I'm running around. I get a call, and it's like Prince's guys here, right? And I'm like, okay, I've had it with this shit, right? <laughs> Twenty other people that we're supposed to bring, you know, uh, 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 what's Christina Aguilera sure. and yada yada yada. A lot showed up, but a lot didn't. So I sort of run out there and I see the guy, and, and the guy's kind of waving, and I'm like, and they're, the guy at the door is pointing to me. So I sort of run toward the guy, and I'm going to get in his face, and I sort of trip, and I and I and I, uh, you know, like sort of stumble over the ropes, and the guy moves, and I almost pancake Prince who was standing right behind. No way. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. I almost knocked him over. I he, he was he, tiny, right? He knew me from New York and says, he's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. That's and, amazing. Uh, and, uh, and to end the story, during that night, um, there was a, we were gluing down the carpet, and my shoes got stuck because I was walking around the whole night without shoes on. They got stuck <laughs> in the glue of the carpet. Wow. But, so as Prince was walking in, he's looking back at me. He's the only one looking back at me and going, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? He's running around with no shoes. Trying to knock me over. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's great. And I'm sure there are many, many, many more stories in the, in the book that's coming out June 7th. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore, yeah. Beautiful. So. Well, we really, really appreciate the time. Um, thank you so much, Steve. Yes. Thank um, you. So we are so much. excited about the book. Great. Uh, so excited about the book coming out. Um, and we also excited about 25 years of Avalanche. Yep. And, um, we I just can't thank yeah. We just can't thank you enough for coming on. So thank you. I will, thanks, again, for, thanks for thanks for doing this kind of stuff. It's good for the whole dance community. So appreciate it. Well, we well, appreciate you. It's our culture we that we you. love very much and yes. hold deeply to our hearts. Thanks, so. guys. Thank you. Too. Cheers. Thank you thanks, much. guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Great interview. Jeff, you knocked it out of the box with that one. Great job, Jeff. A little technical difficulties here and there. Yeah, but we, sorry, we, we, we waved through them. We waved through them. Yeah, Jeff's such a professional. He kept his composure the entire time. Yeah, right. I flipped like 10 mics. <laughs> <laughs> that was good, Jeff. You did a really yeah. great job with that interview. You were like super prepared, man. I thought you did awesome. I like to be prepared on these interviews. I especially like to be prepared about things that I enjoy. And I, besides your company I mean, and Hurley's yeah, company, I enjoy yeah. the podcast. Uh, I enjoy talking about this stuff. It's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's reminiscing. It's about a culture, and it's, it's something that needs to be documented for sure. Absolutely. As uh, Steve said in the interview, every person in this world has a nightlife story. I so. do. 
I have a few. Check out Storytime mm-hmm. with Uncle Jeff. Storytime with Uncle Jeff. Well, once again, thanks for joining. I'm the promoter. He's the DJ. Gather <laughs> around, kids. Are you it's playing a little story time? time? I've had my story time. He did. He takes advantage of it. Yeah, so once again, I'm the promoter. He's the DJ. You can yeah. follow Jason at... Jason Smith Music. You can follow me at... Jeff London underscore. Yeah. Thanks again, Hurley. Peace. Jeff London, DJ Jason Smith. You're gonna pay.